T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You know, there are some times where I wish we sort of were hardwired in, in the studio and could have all of our conversations go out over the airways because it's been uh, really interesting just to talk off mic with uh, Michael Leibowitz. I'm so sorry. Suffy. Suffy? Sebastian. Subby. Subby. Sebastian. Subby. Um, who's here with, with Michael Leibowitz. And the book is Down the Rabbit Hole, How the Culture of Corrections Encourages Crime. And, and Michael, you wrote the book in pri- while you were in prison? Yeah, I co-authored the book, yes, while I was in prison. Yeah, along with Brent McCall. And and so you can find, can you find it on Amazon? It's on Amazon, yes. And it's sort of, I'm, assu- I'm you know, just in talking to Matt, I, I assume that the, the bulk of it has to do with how, you know, prison isn't, isn't really about making you better so you can go out in society and help society. It's more to just keep you there or a place for you to stay until you can get out. Right. And the point that I really like to get out to people is that it's not just two disgruntled inmates complaining how they're being mistreated and not being fed tasty dishes. The The idea is that in corrections, there's four main purposes of corrections. They're incapacitation, punishment, deterrent, and rehabilitation. Our point is that corrections largely only does one. They incapacitate. They keep people out of the public view for whatever the length of the sentence happens to be. There's little punishment other than being deprived of liberty, which, of course, is a punishment, but it's not the type of punishment that's actually going to incentivize somebody to alter their behavior. And because it's not actually— Then there's no deterrent. Bingo. Right. And so you have—it's not a punishment, so and it's not a deterrent, and it's also not an incentive to rehabilitation, and the rehabilitation is non-existent in prison. Right, which is— probably, you know, if you think about society, the most important component of it all, right? And, and you know, what we were talking about, and I've been thinking about your visit, and, and, and I think it's something we could hopefully do with some regularity about wh- where to start. I mean, when I talk about my own sensibility, I think about my visions of what prison is. I only know what I've read and, like, the movies, right? I think of, like, cliques and how people channel their sexual relationships in a prison and how how to stay safe and not get beat up and how do you have to join a gang like I don't know how many of the cliches are true and I don't know where to start so I can't just ask you what is prison really like but I mean is it can you keep to yourself and be safe in prison is it possible? Sure, you can be safe. And that's actually, I think, part of the problem is the mythology <clears throat> of prison is very different from the reality of prison. So when I say it's not a punishment, it actually, the more a person tries to change himself, the more it actually becomes a punishment. 
And what I mean by that is this. You, you have entrenched interests, both in, on the part of the staff and the inmates, who in large part are, I don't want to say in cahoots, but they're in sync with one another. Prison largely for inmates consists of playing games, watching television, listening to music. So when they're allowed to do that and not required to go to school or, or take programming or do other things that are going to benefit them, you take somebody that on the, you know, when they were free is largely lazy and lives a chaotic life and then throw them into an environment that thrives on chaos where they're allowed to be lazy and you get nothing other than what you've been getting out of them. So, you know, you give a guy the option, okay, you can either go read and participate in the backbreaking work of transforming your personality, or you can slam dominoes all day, and they're going to take slamming dominoes every time. So the problem comes now, say you have a guy that wants to change his life. Well, changing your life requires reading, and it requires a lot of introspection and meditation, stuff that requires a quiet environment. So now if you're in your cell and you're trying to do these things and you've got guys outside the cell screaming and yelling at each other about the basketball game they just engaged in. And is that happening constantly? Constantly. And slamming dominoes. So, you know, if it's like if you put on background music, for instance, you can focus because it's not breaking. But a domino slamming, you can imagine it's just bang. And then another five seconds go by and bang again. Or, you know, guys are screaming. And And that's constant? Constant. So you're trying to, to learn. And now, mind you, excessive noise is against the rules. But the correctional officers they don't, don't, care. They don't care because the guys that are slamming dominoes aren't interfering with them. So they don't say anything to the inmates about that. And it's just like, what is going on here? I'm trying to better myself and can't. And, well, so it's not like people are, are resentful of people who are trying to do something positive. Well, that happens also. So you also will have inmates who say you're wasting your time. You know, what do you think? You're better than me, that sort of thing. And you also have staff members, mind you. So a a story that my friend Brent likes to tell, and this is indicative. So I want people to understand this is not a one-off. This is in large part how corrections operates. So one day my friend Brent found that there were extra items in his commissary bag. So he went to the commissary staff member and said, excuse me, but this isn't, you know, I didn't pay for this stuff. And the guy said, oh, just keep it. Well, what, of course he's saying just keep it. What the hell does he care? He's not paying for it. But you were, he got that wrongly and someone paid for it, didn't get it, Somebody, no. which could be a big problem well, for them. Well, the taxpayers are ultimately paying for it because they're footing the bill for the commissary workers and the, the item. Well, I get that's complicated how the pay goes, but somebody's paying for it. The stuff didn't just manifest itself. Like so, why is it a problem to keep it? Because it would be stealing. If I didn't pay for something and somebody else did, then I'm getting it and I'm stealing it. So, it, you, let me backtrack a little. So, when you're trying to change yourself as a criminal, like you may hear today, and I'm not accusing you, I don't know, but you may see a TIC pen and say, ah, "I'll take that home with me." What's the big deal? And it really isn't. Now, if I were to see a pen here and take it, it's a much bigger deal because it's a crack that opens the door into my former behavior patterns. Hmm. So any type of theft has to be discouraged. But when you have a staff member who's saying to an inmate, here, take it, the thought process of the criminal says, wow, everybody's corrupt. Everybody steals. So I'm no different than he is. 
And now that behavior is being reinforced. And then when you're actually taking a pro-social step and saying, I'm not going to accept free stuff, and the staff member is encouraging you to do it, and when you refuse, he's now basically the guy ended up making fun of him. Like, what are you, crazy? You don't want the free stuff? Well, let me, let me just stop you right there because sure. we have to take a break. But I would just say that I, I wouldn't have any of those thoughts. I would just be like, <laughs> I got a little bonus here, and I'm psyched about it. So sure. that's a nuance that I hadn't even considered. The book is Down the Rabbit Hole. Uh, Brent McCall co-wrote it with uh, our guest today. Michael Leibowitz. Uh, we're back here with Michael Leibowitz and his buddy Sebi. Okay. I, I mean, I, I don't know the nickname yet. I'll get it down. Um, who is in studio here today. We're talking about uh, Down the Rabbit Hole, How the Culture of Corrections Encourages Crime, a book co-wrote by Brent McCall and Michael Leibowitz. Now, just I, I didn't even step back because there's a lot of people and I've even gotten some, some notes who they don't know who you are or what you did. And where you're from. So why don't we just reset okay. and tell tell people, because you're a Connecticut native, t- tell them who you are, where you're from, and w- how you ended up in prison, and for how long were you in it? Okay, so I'm 46 years old, and two and a half weeks ago, I got out of prison after serving 25 years and about four months in prison. I was in prison for a lot of crimes, but the primary crime I was in prison for was in a fit of jealous rage, I arranged for three of my friends to break into my ex-girlfriend's house and stab her boyfriend while he slept. That's by no means the only crime I've been convicted of, and it's and I've committed a lot more crimes than I was ever arrested for. But that's the main crime for which I was okay. punished. And <clears throat> what about your childhood or your past that led you to that point? Did okay. you have a, a typical home life or like what, what put you in that position? Okay, so that's a tricky question and <clears throat> one that I'm very hesitant to answer. And the reason being because it's nobody's fault that I committed my crimes but my own. You know, I've transformed myself into a good human being today and nobody forced me to do that and nobody could have. And with that, nobody forced me to commit crimes and nobody could have. Is that because you don't want to look back or you just don't no, want to? No, no, I'm... I'm I've long since dealt with any childhood traumas. I've done a tremendous amount of work on it. I just don't want to come off as saying, okay, I committed crimes because of this. Because then it opens the door for other people to say, well, they've committed crimes because of this. And ultimately, human beings are responsible agents. There's people who have been through far worse than I ever went through who did not commit crimes. And to say that my past caused me to commit crimes, I think, diminishes their accomplishments. But that must have been one of the huge steps in prison was that realization of personal accountability. Like I always say, like in journalism and when I did TV, I'd say if, if I say something that's, that's wrong or false, it may not be my fault, but it's my responsibility. Yes. And I think that's sort of what you're saying is that there's a lot of things that probably triggered my behavior, but if I don't take responsibility myself, then, then I can't really move forward in the right way. Well, sure. I mean, I'll give you an example. My, my friend Subby, who's here, he and I yesterday had a, an argument. And we both stepped back and said, okay, what was my fault in the argument? And from that, we were able to resolve it, move on, and be better human beings. Now, 25, 30 years ago, what I would have done is that, you know, we have a disagreement. I say, F you, you're wrong, you're a jerk, and maybe I never talked to him again. Maybe I hurt him. Maybe I hurt him, or, you know, maybe he hurts me because he's bigger than me and stronger than me. But but nonetheless, it, it ends up in something completely different because— we are a product of our choices. We choose how to respond to what happens. He and I both chose to respond to the argument we had yesterday in a pro-social, productive way rather than in an anti-social way. And there's no part of the old you that you see 
creeping up into your consciousness? No, terms- no, not that. Like no violent thinking or no, no. I love this guy. No, then no, nothing like that. But in the past, it would have. Yeah. So the, the point is, is I, I know I'm getting off track. Is that no? There's no not, track. There's no yeah. track. So we we choose how to behave and how to respond to situations. So yes, my parents were drug addicts. My father was violent. I chose to respond to that in a certain way, especially as I got older. Obviously, as at eight or nine years old, I wasn't making conscious. You're not conscious choices. of the trauma, and you can't no. verbalize what's wrong. No, but as things. I started to get older, I became more and more aware of it. There were a lot of people in my life that tried to help me, including police officers. Uh, I can think of two in particular, Tom Penelo and Kevin Dillon in my town that were police officers who always tried to help me. I just wasn't interested. Yeah. I wanted to go hang out with the troublemakers. I wanted to be a troublemaker. I wanted to be a gangster. I wanted a reputation for being a tough guy. That's what I valued, and that's what I saw. Hmm. And that was nobody's fault but my own. Or if you want to say my responsibility, I'm, I'm okay with that. Too. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you can also you know, be saying, like, listen, if all bets are off and I'm going to do, I'm going to do whatever, whatever I want because I've been dealt this hand. I mean, we're talking about Michael Leibowitz, and again, I just encourage people to take a look at the book, Down the Rabbit Hole, how the culture of corrections encourages crime. I want to step back to so you from Weathersfield, yes, and you served twenty five years yes. in prison, and you yes. stepped out less than a month ago. Yes, November twenty okay. eighth. There's a lot of questions around that, and first of all, how was that? Ex- like, what was the first thing you did? Like, do you go to Chick Fil A because it didn't exist in in twenty? Like, what? Do you, like that? I mean, it's I can't even fathom what that is like. So, what is the first thing you do? Okay, so uh, here's something again. I'm a little hesitant to talk about it because I'm actually a regular guest on on Todd Show, and I've already gone over all my doings on the first day. But it is okay. a new audience. So, well, maybe just <laughs> just give one little the, the, element. The, the of first it. thing I did was I was adamant with uh, Subby that he bring me to a store so I can get a Coke and a candy bar. <laughs> I really more than just a Coke and the candy bar wanted the experience of going into a store. It was, were you like, wow, fun. this is expensive. It or was you- very <laughs> expensive. Yeah. I mean, I knew that there was inflation, uh, but to actually see the prices was like, wow. I what mean, kind that, of candy bar did you? I got to watch him call it. See, I was a huge, so funny. Cause we're not too far in age. I loved watching McCollins as a kid. One of the more under, because sometimes you see dust on them in the store because nobody knows about them, nobody buys them. But I would argue when they added, I think caramel or something, it got worse. Like the old watching McCollins, I think was better. They used to not have that layer of caramel, I think, and I, I almost liked it better. But anyway, Did they add nougat because nougat seems to be the secret ingredient. That's a a, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we're talking with Michael Leibowitz here on Brian and Company and WTIC News Talk 1080. You know, one thing we talked about, Master Royce, who's my um, my producer and engineer on the other side, and he's he's great, and he just he he talked about, you know, how how much of the societal cultural moves are you aware of as you go through time? So, twenty five years brings you to nineteen ninety seven, right? Um, so you were in prison for nine eleven. You were in prison for a lot of like massive, massive world events, yeah. and you know, um, obviously Sandy Hook. Marathon bombings, you know, beyond just the financial crisis in 08 and 09 and a whole bunch of different things. How much does that stuff filter down to you? I know with the Internet and everything, you can read the news and stuff like that. But I just don't have an awareness of how as the culture shifts, as trend shifts, whether it's fashion or news or politics, does all of that filter down to where you are? Well, I've in prison, we have television and radio. So I've been aware of all that stuff. I mean, I 
I knew the things were going to be different, but in large part, I knew they were going to be different because I'm aware of what's a lot different of the changes. Yeah. Well, these phones that like yesterday, it's funny because I always thought to myself as I'm seeing watching TV, boy, look at all these a holes walking around reading text messages while they're walking. And then yesterday, I'm walking down the street with my sister, and I got my phone open. I'm reading emails, and I told my sister, well, it's official now. I'm one of these a-holes that's walking around reading text messages. <laughs> Did you have a cell phone before you went to prison? I had a cell phone once for about three weeks, and I got rid of it, And it, but it was a flip phone. Flip phone. That didn't, you know, you go 10 feet, and the phone's hanging up on you. You can't get through to people. And, and you obviously can't, you can't have a cell phone in prison, right? Well, <laughs> you're not supposed to. But, but people they, do? People get them, yes. Well, that, that's a whole nother topic, <laughs> which is contraband, which we can get to if you stick around for, for a few minutes. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you humoring my basic questions because I always start from a standpoint of like, no matter how stupid the question, I just need to sort of build a base of sort of knowledge of you and where you come from and so on. His name is Michael Leibowitz. He co-wrote this book with Brent McCall. It's called Down the Rabbit Hole, How the Culture of corrections encourages crime. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, we stick around maybe for a couple more sure, minutes. No He's problem. a regular guest on Todd Feinberg's show. And Todd, you know, Todd and I don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but I'll tell you, he's one of the smartest guys. I mean, I, I, I'm almost intimidated by some of this stuff, the way he, I mean, because he's really bright and he's got such strong opinions, but I, I, I learn a lot from talking to and, and, and listening to Todd. And obviously you're on Tom Shattuck's show sometimes as well. So... <laughs> By the way, uh, have you ordered Domino's since you've been out of prison? I have not ordered Domino's. Okay. No. So they on their app they have the pizza tracker, and it turns out that it's not actually tracking the making of your pizza. It's just based totally on the time of your order. That's really disappointing. I was like, oh, it's in the oven. Ooh, it's ready. Turns out it might have been ready for ten minutes, and but they just told you. Anyway, I know you don't care, but you know when you do radio, those are the min pieces of minutiae that you talk about. We're talking with <laughs> Michael Leibowitz uh, here on Brian and Company, his buddy Subby's in studio. He co-wrote the book with Brent McCall, Down the Rabbit Hole, How the Culture of Corrections Encourages Crime. You know, we talked to, and again, you know, hopefully we'll have more time with you another time, but one thing I've always been curious about, again, I came back to Connecticut right around when you first started coming on the radio. So I, I had been gone from Connecticut uh, from 2007 to 2019, and I didn't come on this radio station, I think, until like, I want to say like 2020. So you were already on the radio, so I didn't know if Todd had been talking, Todd Feinberg in the afternoon, 3 to 6, here on WTIC, had been talking to you for years and years, but it turns out this is relatively recent, and I think it would be worth it if, and again, this might be a story already told on Todd's show, how did you end up in a relationship where you were coming on the radio from prison on, on the Tom Feiberg show. Okay, I can tell that story, but I just want to say one thing real quickly about the book um, because people are going to notice as they listen is it's a very complex subject, and it's, it's part of what makes it so tough is in order to understand what's wrong with the prison system, you have to understand what criminals are, how they think, what it takes to change them, and then you have to get into what's going on inside the, the walls. And it's, it's such a difficult thing to communicate. I mean, that's why we wrote a whole book. So like earlier we were talking about the stealing of the pen. Yeah. And people, like you said, they don't grasp that off the bat. So it does require, like I've been on Todd for years now, and we frequently come back to this. And like you said, well, maybe we'll get into it again at another time. And I think that's great because that's what's necessary in order for people right. to truly understand it. 
So the way that I, I got- But let me just interject. Yeah. And, I, and I think the important thing about the book, and it, it makes no difference to me whether you sell one copy or a million, is that you're not some PhD in an ivory tower writing about a subject, which there are benefits to those perspectives, but to have an articulate version from somebody who's lived it and still living what you're doing, that's a perspective that people would, what I would think would want to hear from. So that you know, like to Thank me, you. like that's the authenticity of it makes it credible, and you you take it for for what it's worth. I mean, I'm a big believer in taking all different perspectives together your own opinion. But yeah, how did you end up on the radio? Well, what happened was after reaching out to every network and every newspaper that we possibly could, and my my friend Subby, you know, bless him, was running around everywhere dropping off books to everybody we could think of, and nobody seemed to take an interest, but. A state senator at the time, Len Suzio, took an interest, and he came to visit me, went to visit Brent, and he talked to us about the book, and he read the book, and to my delight, he understood the conceptual— So he actually read the whole book? He did, Mm -hmm. and he understood it conceptually, and what I mean by that is he understood it in principle of what we were saying. He didn't get bogged down in, oh, here you said this, and here you said this. He understood the philosophy that we were trying to convey. And even after he got out of office, because he's somebody that cared about the issue of what happened in the prisons, and is he stayed in touch with me. And he was trying to get me interviewed by whomever he could, and Todd Feinberg took an interest, and Todd Feinberg had me on the show. And it's actually funny to me anyways. The, the first time I was on the show, I thought it was a one-shot deal. You know, This is going to be my one chance to get the message out of what I'm trying to do, and I can't mess this up. So I went on the show, and then after the interview, Todd said to me, Hey, how'd you like to be a regular? Actually, he said, how'd you like to make us a part of your regular circuit? And I'm thinking, circuit? You're I it. Don't, I don't have a circuit. <laughs> yeah, you're it. But it's a line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a guy that I'm just talking to right now. So I said, well, I, w- I would love to come on your show on a regular basis. And I was so excited. And I told everybody I saw I'm going to be a regular on the show. I got back. I called my friends, my family. I'm going to be a regular on the show. And then I hung up and I said to myself, oh, crap. What the hell am I going to talk about every week? <laughs> like, I don't do this for a living. I, I, I'm, you know, I don't know what to talk about. And luckily... You know, I've studied a lot in prison, and Todd is a great interviewer who was willing to let me talk about anything I wanted. So it was able to develop into a very good uh, relationship. And now Todd is one of my best friends. He's just awesome. He's my mentor, a great friend, and it's been fantastic. That's wild. I I mean, yeah, I mean— I just think that that's that's incredible. I mean, just we have to we have to go for a break, another break, and then we'll be right back. But do you have to go to the area with the glass and the phone? Like, where do you make the call from? Well, initially, I was just there's none. I just would call the phones on the wall, and I would. Like, where's the phone on the wall? In the block. So okay. you, you're in a cell block, and then there's phones. Like pay phones or like they, they can, look like pay phones, but they're not. They're collect call. They connect phones. you. Okay. But in the last couple of months, I was able to call. They gave us tablets. And then they installed phone apps on them. So we were able oh, to call wow. from the tablet, which was much better for convenience because I wasn't waiting for a phone and I right. wasn't worried about being locked down or a code or anything else because that was interfering a lot with my ability to call. But the sound quality was kind of lousy. Right. We're back with Michael Leibowitz, who, of course, wrote the book Down the Rabbit Hole, How the Culture of Corrections Encourages Crime. But I, I forgot to ask you one last little question about, you know, I know it, you went through all the nuances of, of your first day out of, out of prison. I assume prison food's. Is it bad? Uh, it's yeah. It's it's not good. Okay. <laughs> that's for sure. So, like, what was the first thing you wanted to eat besides the candy bar? Um, I had it all set in my mind the first day what I was going to eat, and uh, I wanted Burger King. I wanted this. I wanted that. 
But uh, my friend Subby at nighttime insisted that I go to his favorite restaurant, Joey Garlic's. I think it's in where is it? West Hartford. Is that a cha- is it a chain? Is it a franchise? Uh, Here you can get pop on. Hold on. Go ahead. He's got a place in Newington, uh, Manchester, and in West Hartford it's Joey Pizza. Yeah. Is it so? It's a, Joey Garlic's is Italian food. That's what we had. I don't know, but Subby arranged it so, like, you know, we had a party of. So what'd you have? Uh, your first, your the first meal. I had a, the, the thing I had there. I had a, ch- I had a chicken parm, which nice. is kind of funny because Todd's show they often joke about chicken parm being the sandwich of Connecticut. That's funny. It, it was it great. I couldn't sandwich. finish it. It was very, uh, it very was a large lot, sandwich. A big, a big plate. Yeah. So I had the rest of it for breakfast. There you we went, go. We went there another day, and uh, he wanted a salad. Because he said he was getting fat, <laughs> but uh, he had uh, my niece convinced him to have a penne alla vodka, which he absolutely loved, and I think he ate that for breakfast. Yeah, I did. I had that. <laughs> so for you, the next all your day leftovers are for breakfast. Yes. All right. Let's so Joey Garlic. So I'll have to check it out. It's eight fifty three here on Brian and Company. We're here with Michael Leibowitz. Uh, so I want to ask quickly, and we'll have you on again, but I, I do want to ask about contraband. Okay. And you, how? I'm not asking you how it works, but like. Outside of drugs, which is obviously something that is a huge component of what comes in, what's kind of the weirdest stuff that people bring in from the outside? Like, is it is it strange food items? Is it posters? Uh, is it's it? It's funny because inmates, it ends up in a situation where, you know, because you can't have something, you want it. So I once joked, and I said, if you were to put a pail in the counselor's office and label it tiger's urine, there would be inmates who absolutely had to have it and would end up stealing it. Because just because it's something that they right, don't that have. Right, that they don't have. So just the, the weird thing, I don't know about weird. I mean, people have had cell phones, food, drugs, uh, clothing items. But the, and the funny thing is, so you, it's known what they sell on commissary, which is all the clothing you're supposed to have is either from the commissary or the prison officials give it to you. So if you see an inmate and he's wearing something that obviously isn't sold on the commissary or distributed by the prison, you'd think the CO would say, hey, what are you doing? What, but they don't. So if you have a Steph Curry jersey on, nobody says anything? That might be a bit extreme. I don't know about the Steph Curry, but a tank top would let largely go un, unmentioned. Or, uh, you know, like pens that, that they don't sell on commissary, that, that would go unmentioned. Stuff like that. The, the staff just doesn't. And see, this is where I would get in trouble in prison because I don't just say they're mean to us. I talk about how they don't do their jobs. They don't call us out for contraband or for misbehavior. And then the inmates would get mad at me and say, "Oh, you're telling them that we shouldn't have this." So when you say in that. trouble, what what is in trouble? I mean, you might mean? get a, a disciplinary report or just yell that, or you, will you get beat up? Would I get beat up? Yeah. Oh, and I, well, how I get in trouble? Yeah. Um, no, I've you know the inmates weren't too happy, but they didn't they didn't beat me up. Uh, you know, staff did try to get me beat up. Uh, that's a, you know, maybe a story for another time, but staff intentionally tried to incite inmates against me. In your 25 years, did you ever, like, did you have to fight your I never got into a fight. I'm very good at talking my way out of things. (laughs) So, like, when inmates, I've been in situations that I came very close to getting beat up. And you you can see I'm a small guy, so I'm not very tough, which is why I resorted to weapons when I was free. But, uh, I, you know, it happens that people get beat up. It's very rare that it happens. It is rare? for, For no reason. I mean, guys get into fights over gambling or over drugs or over what happens on the basketball courts. That, I don't know, relatively rare. I mean, you know, it happens. Maybe it's just I'm just you know, immune to it or, you know, inured to it. Because that sort of shatters some of my vision yeah. of it. Like, I feel like I would be in a constant state of fear. No, no, not at all. No, okay, not at all. Were you in a minimum security 
I was in McDougal Correctional Institution for, I think, 19 years, and that's a maximum security prison where it houses the some of the most, quote, dangerous, end quote, people there are. And I say that the dangerous in quotes, not because they weren't dangerous when free, just because in prison, people generally just want to be comfortable and live their lives. Did you make friendships in prison? Well, Brent McCall is my best friend. Um, he, yeah, that's one. And another friend, Carlos, is a very good friend of mine. Other than that, I've got a lot of people that, you know, you might call them friends, but when I think friends, I think Subby, I think Brent, I think Carlos, people that would do anything for me and I would do anything for them. You know, they would never lie to me. I would never lie to them. So, you know, I know, I guess there's a continuum of friendship and those type of friends are the people I consider friends. Uh, his name is Michael Leibowitz with his best friend, Brent McCall. They wrote the book, Down the Rabbit Hole, How the Culture of Corrections Encourages Crime. If you want to read uh, their psychology today did a, a review of it, and you can find it on Amazon if you want to do a bit of a deeper dive. You know, I just want to ask you, it's been a couple of weeks. I mean, how, how do you feel? How, how is it going with I your feel life? Great. I feel so grateful for all the people that have been there for me. Uh, so many people are so nice and welcoming to me. I think that's great. And I am driven and motivated to be a good human being and to accomplish everything I want in life. Primarily, I want to be a, a talk host. <laughs> and I am hey, just— Hey, wait until I'm done. Don't take my job. I am just—I am motivated, and I work on it, you know, every single day of my life. I just nonstop. Maybe even too much. Subby was telling me this morning that I have to learn to take breaks. But I'm just so, not wired that way. So you want to just talk like like Todd talks or I talk, or you want to have something focused on on your work? Oh, no, no. I want to do general topics. Yeah. I love politics. I, I'm a, a, Ideologically, I'm a libertarian. I'm very committed to the freedom movement and very committed to communicating those ideas. And I think that the prison system is one of the clearest examples of a failure of government that there is. And being that I lived inside it for 25 years, I know just how inefficient, incompetent, and corrupt government yeah. can be. Yeah. It's so funny because I... And we, we got to go. But I'll just say I had a very good conversation with someone in government about what bothers me at, you know, about these certain inefficiencies. But when there's so much money involved, you can't it's almost impossible to change it because there's so many people profiting off the way it is now. That's the problem. Right. Yes, it is. And, and that's sort of the, the underlying theme that people don't think about enough. And I think about when I think about Washington, D.C., <laughs> go drive around suburban D.C., and see how many homes that are worth between one and five million, and then compare that between how many homes were the highest end homes, you know, twenty five years ago. This is just too much money. There's too much money involved in all of it. And Brian, with that, you showed what makes a great talk host because you were able to sum up the entire discussion we've had in one pithy sentence. There's so many people benefiting from the system as it currently yeah. is, and that's so why, why change it. Why the people who could change it don't want to change it, and it's true about so many aspects of our lives, but especially as it relates to government. And I, I, I'm not a libertarian, but I, I, and I'm an independent, and I, but I think it's hard to ignore, you know, the the size and scope of government based on the money involved. We're, we're up again. We got ten seconds. Michael Leibowitz, it's great to meet you, Subby. It's great to meet you as well. It's the second time. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Over here. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.